this is a show that seems like it's absolutely just slamming on all of my buttons. Yeah, I mean, you are my target audience entirely. (laughs) Sci-fi and Shakespeare. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 15th year, number 757, Emily Carding's Quintessence. Since we're not performing at any fringe festivals this summer, it is a vicarious thrill to hear about others who are doing it, and one fringe show I'm particularly sorry I can't see, and which opens tonight and runs this week at the Brighton Fringe Festival in England, is Quintessence, a solo piece written and performed by Emily Carding. Emily have a big summer coming up. Their book, So Potent Art, about the magic of and in Shakespeare, comes out this July and August. And we discussed So Potent Art on the podcast last October of 2020. And they'll also be performing As You Like It with the Open Bar Theater in pub gardens all around England starting in July. Emily's very first performance of Quintessence begins in about three hours as I record this, so I was thrilled to talk to Emily yesterday about what Quintessence is and how it came to be. It started off life um, as a commission for the London Science Museum back in 2018. Um, They held an open creative inspiration event because they were looking for pitches for a Frankenstein festival they were doing. They were doing this whole festival, Frankenstein themed events, and they wanted artists and theatre makers and, and, and whatever to just come up with their pitches, you know. Um, and in order to inspire us, they put on a day, which was just, it was a free day um, of talks by top scientists on the various areas of of science that Frankenstein was concerned with. So we had, there was an AI expert, um, there was a geneticist, there was um, an existential threat expert. And so we got to hear these fantastic lectures and then they ran workshops with us to get creative processes going, working in groups around tables in the Science Museum, brilliant. and I went away from that day with my head full of, I mean, I love Frankenstein, the, the book particularly anyway, because it's so philosophical. It's it's such a wonderful study of human nature and so thought provoking and so poetic. Um, and so I went away with that with my head full of, of thoughts about, okay, so AI, all of the all of the things merging together ai and genetic modification and how would we piece together a human being from scratch and so my and i thought i've got to think of something that is really original so it's based on frankenstein but it isn't just oh it's frankenstein but it's somebody making an ai like right it has to be the and so the twist that I that I brought on that that first version of it that um, was taken up by the Science Museum as one of three projects to be uh, funded and um, put on at the Science Museum for that festival was that humanity programs an AI being to recreate humanity in the future 
because they know that they're going to be wiped out. So then it's the AI being looking at how you make a human, how you make, how you recreate the human race. And because I'm so obsessed with Shakespeare, I was like, okay, so the one issue that you have here and one of the issues that actually is one of the themes through Frankenstein is what is the human spirit? And does an artificial creation have soul? Does it have spirit? Um, And so I thought, okay, so these human beings are programming an AI, knowing they're going to be wiped out. What do they give the AI as a reference for what the human spirit is? And this needs to be something that isn't specific to any particular religion. So I thought, great. What if they yeah. give they program the AI with the complete works of Shakespeare as a guide to what the human spirit is? And I had the help of these scientists. I was able to consult with these scientists. You know, they were available to me. So I, I chatted to the existential threat guy about, um, you know, what, what would it take? Would it be a nuclear war? Would it be, you know what would it be and he's like well it would have to be a series of combined events actually if you want to wipe everybody out it would have to be diseases and nuclear war plus 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 it's a combination of events humanity dies out and there you are left with with an ai um reproducing its itself and healing the planet and then recreating humanity but in but in quintessence at the beginning you are this new race of humans being addressed and being told what your history is. That's cool. So you are the AI yeah. feeding us survivors of several catastrophic events, what it will take for us to regain our humanity via the works of Shakespeare? Kind of. So humanity has been completely wiped out. And then over the years, the AI beings have to make sure the planet can support human life again and then recreate humanity from scratch. So they've got to make a new, they've got to make humans again right. from either from cloning and how do they do that, but then how do they then teach them how to be human or where does the human spirit come from? Um, and so, so you you are being addressed. So it's kind of immersive in the sense that you are being addressed. This is a, a yearly gathering that the new race of humans have to tell them where they came from, to tell them the history of the species, where their species went wrong. It's, um, it's then interspersed with um, snippets from Shakespeare, which illustrate all these different points that the AI is making about humanity's past, because the AI is also programmed to perform it for your education and entertainment. <laughs> Um, and then as it goes on, you learn that you, you're living in this beautiful utopia where everything, absolutely everything is laid on for you. Everything is perfectly under control and you don't need to worry about anything. And, and as it goes on, it's, it's just slowly revealed the price that is paid for that, for that utopia and what exactly the nature of this new species of human is because of the logical conclusions that the AI has come to. Wow. That was hardly an elevator pitch, but the elevator pitch. (laughs) So I guess the elevator pitch is like, it's sci-fi meets Shakespeare meets Frankenstein um, with a dark twist. Well, and I love the Frankenstein element as well, because I wrote my own adaptation and I'm fascinated by 
that story and its influences and its Shakespearean influences. Um, and and yet, and and of course, it's not just you standing behind a lectern. Oh no, it's you in a costume with, I assume are contact lenses looking very uh, alien-esque. Is that right? Is that fair way to describe it? Yeah, it, it's the, that sort of um, uncanny valley area that I, that I inhabit as um, Ariel, the, um, the avatar of Prospero. Right. Um, who, who is the guardian that is addressing you at this meeting. So I've got these white contact lenses in, just slightly unnerving and very controlled, um, very controlled actions as the AI in contrast to the performance mode, which is extremely naturalistic, um, trying to go for that imagining that it's almost downloaded performances from history and then it's replaying you little clips through their own body and then reverting back into a very controlled AI, AI mode. So there's there's definitely like um, an influence of early next gen data in in there, but even more stylized. Well, I, I mean, I've talked on the podcast many times about why there isn't more science fiction theater, because mm. it the theater. I mean, science fiction can be anything. The theater can be anything. You know, yeah. and why theater doesn't embrace that more, I've never understood. And again, I think I'm constantly reevaluating why am I drawn to Shakespeare? Why am I drawn to Shakespeare? It's because he had ongoing conversation with the supernatural and even what, I mean, and magic, what constituted the science of his day, you know, the science fiction of his exactly. day. Exactly, the Tempest. I th did we have this conversation before? Did we, did we mention this before when... I I can't remember who I had this conversation with, but The Tempest, I would say, would qualify as being science, science fiction of, of, of the day because alchemy and magic was the science yeah. of, of Shakespeare's time. And if Prospero is indeed based on, on John Dee, as I feel strongly that, that he is, you know, John Dee was a magician, a mathematician, a scientist. So yeah, that I, I feel like The Tempest is, is sci-fi. And of course, sci-fi has been inspired by The Tempest uh, yeah. since. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. Frangela. And you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Podcast. What? Yes. Merrily and yay verily, motherfucker. Where can you RSE the RSE? We're still the remote Shakespeare company for at least five more months, but we're beginning to have some small, cautiously optimistic conversations about returning to venues sooner than that if conditions and equity rules permit. We'll keep you posted on Facebook and Twitter as soon as we know anything more. Now back to my conversation with Emily Carding, talking about their solo show, Quintessence, which they're performing this week at the Brighton Fringe Festival. Emily and I were talking about science and magic and the origins of Shakespeare's genius. When people talk about, well, how did he do what he do? How did he do what he does? How did he write what he wrote? You know, it's, well, any anybody with the education he has could have written that stuff. Well, yeah, but they didn't. Or only somebody <laughs> with a university education could have written what he did. Well, they didn't. So mm. whatever he's doing is inexplicable and no one else has done it. 
Yeah, I would debate the university education part of that because you see the writers of Shakespeare's time who had the university education, you know, Marlowe, whatever. Because they had the university education, magic and the supernatural was kind of sneered upon and looked down upon or seen as like some... So Dr. Faustus is definitely condemning magic as, as a path forward. And right. then um, Ben Johnson, the alchemist, like that's mocking magic and, and mocking people who would pursue that. Whereas Shakespeare fully embraces it and puts it forward as very real, very believable, but almost like admirable. He sort of has to have the concession that Prospero gives up magic, but Prospero is presented as a, a benevolent mage, a benevolent magic user. Um, and, and is using it, I mean, depending on how, on your interpretation of Prospero, but um, it's certainly not seen as a foolish or immoral endeavor. Right, his treatment of Caliban is problematic, but- um, Yes. Um, but yes, no, I think, I think there is something about, something in Shakespeare's works that suggests to me that he is in conversation with the whole notion of where his, of what his muse is and where his talent and creativity comes from. And one doesn't know, you know, it's mysterious. And I think Shakespeare embraces that mystery, which is I think one of the thing, reasons I'm drawn to him because a theater embraces that mystery also because it has to. It doesn't have, it's not, it's not held to a realistic standard that films are, for instance, or that some theater is. So I, I, I love the fact that this piece that you're doing uh, uh, embraces all of that. Thank you. Yeah, I, I wonder whether partially the, the issue, the reason we don't have so much sci-fi theater is similar to the reason why sci-fi doesn't tend to win, you know, sci-fi films don't tend to win awards, is that people slightly look down on it. Comedies too, and and books and and literature. If people slightly look look down on it because it's not seen as highbrow enough, which is ridiculous because there are ideas that science fiction gives you the freedom to explore, that allow you to look at the reality in which we live through a different lens and therefore more deeply and more philosophically and and in more exciting ways than more sort of you know everyday dramas can because you, you can look at things in a much more expansive way well and and i would say this exact same thing about comedy which is also similarly looked down upon and i think offers a greater entry into painful disturbing powerful topics because the audience is put off guard by their laughter <laughs> you know oh. Last night I was in, um, it was an absolute delight. I was in a Zoom reading of the play version of Terry Pratchett's Monstrous Regiment, um, playing Sergeant Jackram. And, you know, literature professors or teachers or whatever have been known to look down on Terry Pratchett because it, oh, it's just popular entertainment. Oh, it's just, it's comedy. It's just it's silly. It's so profound. The observations of humanity, politics, war, gender, everything that can be that can be so profoundly and deeply examined through through that lens. And comedy and laughter draws you in. It's the same in, in, in any play. If you know, if you if you're doing Richard the Third, for instance, which we both know well, um, if you can get them laughing with you at the beginning, 
then you've got them. Yeah. Then you can take them with you to the dark places. Yeah. Um, love, laughter is a profoundly powerful thing. It's it, it's a way of really, really connecting um, to to the emotional depths of the of the audience. And yes, and surprising people. Yeah. Um, but sci-fi then gives us the um, the ability to step outside of humanity and look at us from a completely fresh angle, to look at us from the outside. Yeah. While we're, while we're living within our normal lives, we can't do that to the same extent. The other thing I love that's, that is happening with Quintessence is that you're doing it at a fringe festival. And I love me some fringe festivals. What's it like <laughs> down in Brighton now? Oh, it's amazing being back. Um, it's the same bunch of people running. The, it's, the, it's particular venues, sweet venues that I love working with. It's a small venue, but it's like a family. So it's coming back to the same people mm. and the same people are volunteering. And there's almost like a mentorship thing where they bring on quite young people to do the teching and volunteering and um, it's like coming home it's a joy and um, to be able to give people such an intimate experience of theatre that they will never be able to get in a you know in a West End venue or or something with a huge budget and lots of light but all huge budgets and and amazing staging and lighting and everything else is fine but all of that divides you it all, all of that puts up a barrier between you as as player and the audience. And, you know, it would be nice to do that kind of work, sure. But to be sharing the same small space with, with people, especially after the year we've just had, and, and to really take them on an emotional journey, just the, these few people, and to be able to lock eyes with them and take them with you and give them something unique like this is is the stuff I really, really love. And I, I think that is my that is my work. That's my art, if if you like. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast. For more information about Quintessence, go to brightonfringe.org. And for more information about where you can see Emily touring in As You Like It this summer, follow Emily on Twitter, at Emily Carding, or follow The Open Bar Theater on Twitter, at We Are Open Bar. Then send us your Shakespearean sci-fi combos via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com. You can also find us and interact with other fans on our dedicated podcast page on Facebook at RSE Podcast, on Instagram at Reduced Shakespeare Company, or on my preferred platform on Twitter at Reduced. You can also follow me on Twitter at Austin Titchener, and I hope you'll check out my new website, theshakespeareans.com. There you can find more information on how I can help you with monologues, presentations, or writing projects. Check out theshakespeareans.com and my Patreon page, patreon.com slash austintitchener. Thanks, as always, to the mayor of Uncanny Valley, Matthew Croak, web services by Ginger Power Limited, music by John Weber and GarageBand. Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Kristen Calhoun. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Frangela, who have promised me they'll return to the podcast soon to talk about all the new Star Treks. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please stay safe, stay home, get vaccinated, and keep your masks on. 
I'm Austin Titchener, 757-2271sts of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. After Brighton Fringe, I then have a week of line learning and then I start rehearsals for As You Like It um, with Open Bar Theatre. We'll be touring around pub gardens for the whole summer with uh, playing Jayquees, which will be just a joy. I can think of nothing much more fun than doing As You Like It in pub gardens all summer. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less. And so much less.